All right. Welcome, everybody, to Blackhawk Church. How's everybody doing here? Everybody doing okay? Fantastic. Hey, and would you join me right now welcoming everybody who is watching us online? So for all of you downtown, all of you at Fitchburg, everybody watching everywhere, man, we're so glad that we have a chance to be together. Okay, and I'm going to ask you to clap again in just a minute because also welcome back college students. So we are so glad that you're here to be with us. Regardless of what site or what venue you're in right now or if you're here live in the room, we just love college students. We love that you're a part of our church, regardless if you're undergrad or grad or PhD students, faculty and staff. We're just glad that you're a part of things. And our hope, our hope is, is that while you're here in Madison, while Dane County is home for you, that Blackhawk can be a place that feels like home as well. That it doesn't just, it's not just a place that you attend. But it's a, it's a community and a family that you can be a part of. And that's really what we're hoping to see happen. So I know that for all sites and venues, if you're a college student there, your site pastor, venue pastor would love to get a chance to meet you. If you're around here, I'd love to meet you after. Come and say hi. But, uh, but we're glad that you're here. And it also is kind of crazy to think that you all are here because that means that another school year is on us right now, which is kind of crazy. Like if you're an elementary school or middle school or high school student in the room, my guess is you've been back in school for a little bit. I was talking with a few students just a couple minutes ago who have been back in school for two weeks. College students at the UW, MATC, Edgewood, I know things have started or are getting ready to start this week. And uh, anybody else feel like this? It just feels like yesterday it was the fourth of July. Anyone, you feel like that? It's just crazy to think that we're here at this place. I, um, I always love 4th of July, to be honest, because at 4th of July, I know there's like a lot of summer still left, and that feels really good. Um, I also, I mean, 4th of July, I just love it because in the evening also, there are fireworks. Anyone else fireworks fans? You kind of just dig seeing the sky explode like that. It's sort of the best. Yeah. I love them so much. In our neighborhood here in Madison where Rachel and I live, uh, every year our neighborhood does this incredible fireworks display on the 4th of July. And, uh, and we always will go over to this particular park in order to watch, and some of our friends will come with us. And, uh, man, fireworks, they're just the best. You know, you kind of get set up in the evening and you spray down because of bugs and everything like that and you're in your lawn chairs or on a blanket and you're just waiting for it to start and then finally they start and if you're close enough, you're at that place where you can hear them not just explode in the sky but you hear them go off. You know that sound where it's like and then you hear you know and it just takes off and then they'll shoot a couple you know and you're just sitting there watching it, taking it all in. And that's great, but the part, honestly, that I love more than anything else is the grand finale. You know, I mean, like, let's be honest. You never really or rarely, if you do see this, it's a lame fireworks show. It's never just like one last firework. Thum, okay, thanks for being here. It just never ends like that. We want to end where, like, the sky gets crazy, you know? And that's what I love. And so there's always this, like energetic anticipation of when's that moment going to start. You know what I'm talking about? And so finally, like in between, like there's sort of this lull, and then all of a sudden you hear this, 
It's like the, the guys who are doing the show are like, just grab everything we haven't shot off yet and we're getting it up in the sky now. And all of it starts to go up and the sky just gets crazy. It turns into like a strobe light of colors and, and like the smoke smell of fireworks starts to fill the air. And there are those white ones that go off. There are just like big loud booms that you feel in your chest and it just gets wild. And people just sit there. There's like a response from people as you're watching is people are like hooting and hollering and cheering and clapping and like this is all of it's happening. It's just the best moment, the grand finale. There is nothing like it. But what I want to do today, I actually want to try to build some of that feeling and emotion inside of us today as we talk about the subject that we're going to talk about. I want to try to build some of that anticipation and excitement, and wondering, and expectancy on what is to come, because today we are talking about the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ, it's the grand finale of all grand finales. So we have been in this series that we've been going through right now called Rooted, which we actually started back on the 4th of July. That was the very first week. And so for the last 10 weeks, if you haven't been here at all, if you're new around our church or new to joining us online, we have been looking at the foundational beliefs that we hang on to as Christians. What are the main things that are most important for us, not just to know, but to actually root ourselves in? So that when the storms of life inevitably come, that we don't end up getting knocked over by them, but we stand strong because of the beliefs that we're rooted in. And all of these beliefs we've been hanging on to, really they all land in the statement of faith of our denomination, the denomination our church is a part of, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And so we have been looking at subjects like, like God. And, and the Bible, and Jesus, and the church, and the Holy Spirit, and sin, and all of these different subjects. And today we come to the second coming of Christ. But, but the second coming of Christ is not just another subject. It's the grand finale that we root ourselves in, that we put our hope in for the future. Turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to the book of Acts right now. Acts chapter 1, and that's actually where we're going to kick off. It's kind of fun that we're looking at the beginning of the book of Acts because next week we do start this new series in the book of Acts that Charles is going to kick off for us. And we are super excited about this series. So this is just like little appetizer of what is to come. Acts chapter 1 starting with verse 9. Now, a little bit of background. Jesus at this point, he has lived his life here on earth. And he has been a part of his ministry for the last few years, helping for the people of the world to understand that he was the son of God and he is the savior of the world. At this point, the religious elite, they have, they have written him off. He has been sentenced to be crucified and died on a Roman cross to pay for the sins of all of mankind. And now he has risen again, triumphant, over death and appeared to all of his disciples, all of his followers. In fact, over 500 people now have seen Jesus since he's risen from the grave. And now he comes to the point where he is about to ascend back to heaven. That's where we pick up the story. So starting with verse nine, it says this. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men in white stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go in to heaven. Okay, and this, this is the belief that Christians have hung on to since that time, that Jesus would one day come again. Now, let's be honest though, okay? That's, that's kind of a weird subject. The idea of Christ's second return. Theologians talk about this all the time. <laughs> there are all kinds of rabbit holes that we could fall into today as we go into this message. And my guess is, is that for all of us, potentially you're going to leave with more questions than you have answers. And yet, it's important for us to talk about. I mean, think about this. Um, there were all kinds of uh, all, all kinds of prophetic writing about the first coming of Jesus in the Old Testament, and and for most of those, we look at those every year around Christmas time, and we look at those with like warm fuzzy feelings, because we saw the way that Jesus returned. We've seen the way that that played out. But now, when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. Well, that hasn't happened yet. So we don't know what it's going to look like. So therefore, it seems like a weird subject. But here's the reality. For as many passages as there are in Scripture about the first coming of Jesus, there are five times as many passages about the second coming of Jesus. So if it's talked about that much in Scripture... Maybe it's important for us to really take a look at and try to understand that we would see the way it's supposed to affect our lives. Our denomination, actually, after looking at all of the different statements in Scripture, came up with a pretty concise belief statement that actually is pretty good for us to grab onto. So it says this. It says, we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy, and our blessed hope, and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. What I want to do is I just want to unpack some of this statement today, really starting with these particular first three words. We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of Jesus. Okay, personal and bodily, what does that mean? Well, it just reminds us from what Scripture tells us, from what this passage in Acts 1 tells us, that Jesus is not coming back hypothetically. He's not coming back ethereally as like some type of energy force or something like that. No, he's coming back in a human body, in his, in his, his resurrected human body. That's what he is coming back in. He's coming back just like humanity. So he, like, like it's important for us to realize that, that, that like if the disciples were here on the planet, when Jesus returns, they would recognize him because of the way that he looks. He's coming back as a human. But even though he's coming back as a human, the, the reality is, man, his return, it is going to be amazing, epic, incredible. Like nothing we can wrap our minds around, it is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be glorious. Now, what's that going to look like? Because, you know, us, I mean, let's be honest, in our Western world that we live in, we want to know the details. We want to know the game plan. It's like, what exactly is going to happen? How is this all going to go down? If I could get a timeline layout of the way it's all going to take place, that would be fantastic. But reality is, we're not given that. 
Now, there are all kinds of theories that are out there that I'm sure that some of you have heard about when it comes to, like, the rapture and when it comes to uh, the seven-year tribulation that's supposed to take place and the millennium. There are all kinds of theologians who come up with all kinds of different theories of the way that this is going to go down. For some of you, you're looking at it going, are we going to talk about amill or pre-mill or post-mill, all of those things. Now, look, for the sake of time, we're not going to dive into all of that today. Look, I took a seminary class for an entire semester on just this subject. We're not going to, like, we're barely scratching the surface. But if you're interested in diving into that stuff, look, on our website, on our blog, we've put all kinds of different material out there that you can take a look at, different areas to things to read, different podcasts to listen to, videos to watch, and you can dive into that. And also, this coming week on our podcast, we're going to deal with this subject. If you have questions, you can turn them in, and we'd love to be able to deal with them. But the thing that all of these different theologians, even though they, they speak differently of the way that it's all going to end up, the thing that they would all say from, like, they would all agree on, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be like nothing we have ever seen before. Think about this. The first time that Jesus came, he came as a humble sacrificial servant. The next time that Jesus comes, he comes as the conquering king. The first time that he came, he came to lay down his life for mankind and pay the penalty for our sins. The second time that he comes, he comes to judge humanity in order to make all things right. The first time he came, he came as the sacrificial lamb. The next time that he comes, he comes as the lion of Judah to make all things right and to completely put to death sin and death. Jesus comes to put death to death and lead us into a world of perfection where there is no sin, no suffering. We can't even wrap our minds around what it's going to be like. It's going to be amazing, grand finale, but we're here. Like we see all that and we hear all that. In fact, there's a passage actually that points towards that. First Thessalonians 4 verses 15 through 18 is a classic passage that talks about this idea. It says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, now, again, like you might be looking at that going, Matt, that just sounds crazy. Like, that just seems weird. Yeah, you're right. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Look, when Paul was writing this passage, he was writing to the early church in Thessalonica. That's who the Thessalonians were. And many of these people, they were living at the time. They would have known of the idea of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension and, uh, and, and they believed, this first century church, they believed that Jesus was coming back in their timeline. Like they thought it was going to happen during their lives. And so they had questions for Paul on, all right, if we have friends and family who believe in Jesus, who die before Jesus returns, what's gonna happen to them in comparison to what's gonna happen to us? And so 
Paul was just simply trying to give them a picture of what that was. He wasn't trying to give them a detailed account of how things were going to go in structure and order. It says at the end, he was just simply trying to encourage them. The way that they can encourage one another is they continue in this world that we live in. And the interesting thing to think about is the world that they live in is the same world that we live in. It's this broken in-between. It's the in-between between Jesus coming to pay the penalty for our sins so that for any of us who have come to the place where we've accepted Jesus and him alone for our salvation, we have eternal life. We are in right relationship with God once again because of Christ's death and resurrection and payment for our sins. But we still live in a broken world. And we all know that. It doesn't take very long to look at this world and realize that it's broken. I mean, like, it still works, but we know it doesn't work the way it was supposed to. It kind of reminds me of um, my car stereo. So I have, a, I have an older Subaru, out, or old Subaru Impreza that I drive. And, uh, and every time in the last year this happened, now that I start my car, has an old CD player. And anyone else still have a CD player in your car right now? Yeah, there's about eight of us. That's awesome. So, so every time that I start my car, my CD player decided to let me know that it still existed by making this horribly annoying noise every time I start my car. Now, I could reenact it for you. But I thought it might be more fun if you just saw it for yourselves. So take a look at this for just a minute. All right, so just to give you a little idea of what I get to experience every time I start my car, listen to this. You wish you were riding with me. <laughs> yep, thank you, thank you. And if any, of you, uh, if any of you need a ride after church, you know, just let me know. You can experience it for yourself. Now here's the thing. Okay, I've been dealing with that for like nine months or so. And, and, and some of you were like, why? The reason, it still works. You know, like, I, look, I can still listen to music from my phone, like, through my stereo. I can still listen to the radio. I can do all of that stuff that I've done. And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. You see, it's the same way with the world that we live in. Like, we're in it. It works. But we all know that it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. I mean, that's the point that we were trying to see. And so we're stuck in this world right now where it's not working perfectly. And we look to the idea of Jesus coming again and he hasn't come and we don't know when that's gonna happen. The the statement of faith actually talks about this really quickly. It says, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God. Do you ever read these articles or see these things online of people making predictions of when the end of the world is coming? The thing that always helps me with that is anytime I see one of those, I know that's not when it's going to happen. Because scripture tells us that no one knows. In fact, (laughs) Jesus said that. Look at this passage in Matthew 24. I think this is so cool. Jesus was talking to his followers about the end times at one point, and he said this, but about a day, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Okay, do you catch what he just said there? The angels and the son. In other words, he's saying, I don't even know. Only the father knows. 
You know, he is the only one that knows right now. And so we're stuck in this place right now where we're looking at it going, okay, like, we don't know. So if we don't know, then how are we supposed to live? Well, the statement actually goes on to give us a better idea on that. It says that we are to live with constant expectancy. Okay, so, so this makes sense. Like, if, if, if we are people still living in this broken in-between, we're supposed to live with a constant expectancy that the grand finale is coming. But here's the thing. That gets difficult, doesn't it? Because, like, I mean, when you think about it, that passage we looked at just a little bit ago, the early church back in, like, Thessalonica, all the early churches, they thought Jesus was coming back in their timeline. <laughs> and then it didn't happen. And then the next generation comes along, and the next generation after that, and after that, and after that, all the way to us. And it can be really easy for us to be people who are going, all right, Lord, when's this going to happen? Like, is it really going to take place? When's this all going to go down? See, the thing that we have to understand is our view of time is so different than the Lord's. And our plans are so different than the Lord's. Scripture talks about this idea. Peter actually spoke about it with a group of people in the book of 1 Peter. He said this. He said, look, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. In other words, we serve a God who is outside of time, so much bigger than we can wrap our minds around. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. You see, we aren't given the time, and we don't know how it's all going to go, but God's desire, he is outside of time, and his desire is to see as many people as possible come to the place of accepting Jesus as their savior. That's what he wants to see happen. So we live in this world of the broken in between. So how Are we supposed to live in that with this constant expectancy that we're supposed to live in? Because it can be easy for us to get off balance in that. For some people, constant expectancy becomes where they become so focused on the future, focused on heaven, that they lose any motivation to transform this world into what God intended it to be transforming it into. They lose the idea of the here and now because of their future. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, if someone can become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, that's the idea of this group of people. But I think that for most of us, I don't think we fall into that place. I think for most of us, we go to the other side where we just don't think about it. The idea of the second coming of Christ, I mean, really, the passages are weird. I don't get the way it's all going to go down. So I'm just focused on the here and now. And we become so focused and preoccupied on the here and now, we don't actually ever think about it. And, and, and really, if we take it a step farther than that, for some of us, we don't think about it because we've become so enamored with this world that when we think about heaven and what we can understand of heaven, it doesn't even seem like it's going to be all that great. So we just assume, just kind of focus on here and stay here, because when we look at it, we just don't even know if it's really going to be that awesome. Back when I was a, a youth pastor in South Florida, years and years and years ago, um, down there, uh, one particular year at Halloween in, in October, 
uh, there, there was, okay, so you know how around Halloween, pretty much every city has these, they're haunted houses that people go to. And you go and you pay money to walk through this deal in a building and have people like scare you, you know, and people call it fun. And, 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 and that's what people do. So haunted houses. Well, down in South Florida, this was kind of big at this time. There was, um, there was a Christian organization that put on a haunted house alternative, so that you could go to. And we decided to take some of our youth group to this. And so um, basically what it was, it was like the alternative to a haunted house. So we paid money, you go in, and you're in this like real life um, uh, like reenactment of something that had taken place. It was this kid who grew up in the church and he was a believer. He had given his life to Jesus, but then once he got to high school, he had fallen in with a bad crowd. And so you're walking through his life, seeing all this takes place. As he gets into like drinking and drugs and then ends up in a gang. And then finally, like in his high school career, he ends up in a car accident where he dies. And they keep showing these things that are like supposed to scare you as they happen. And, uh, and he dies. And the thing is though, he was a Christian but all of his buddies were not Christians, and so they go to hell. And so what we had to do in the haunted house was walk down this long hallway of what was supposed to be hell. And so we're walking down this hallway, and it's like dark, and, and all you're hearing is noises on the outside of all of this, of like screams and yells and chains and scary noises, all of this stuff. It's supposed to be hell. And then you walk down, at the end of this hallway is this room that you walk in that's supposed to be heaven. And so we walk into this big, bright room. It's all of us together, a big group of us. We walk into this room, and it's like there's crepe paper on all the walls that was light blue, I think, to make it feel like you're in the sky, you know? And then there were these, like, billowy clouds that were all around, and there were people on white robes, like, in white robes on these clouds. And, it, and you listened. There was harp music playing in the background. And there were the people who were, like, standing there with harps in their hands going like this. And a couple other dudes, like, with these trumpets that they held up. And, it, like, it reminded me of, like, Chuck E. Cheese with the mechanical people that you saw as they're doing this and the harp music. And then all the people start going like this. And they're motioning this direction towards a door on the other side of the room. And all of a sudden, the door opens and in walks Jesus, like, into this room. I'm sitting there. I have no category to put this in at this point. And Jesus walks in, and he comes over to, you know, there are people all standing. He comes over to each group, and, and he has this melancholy look on his face. He looks at a group, and he says, I love thee. Like he was speaking King James. I had no idea Jesus spoke King James, but he was speaking, I love thee. Goes to another group, I died for thee. So I gave myself for thee. And I'm sitting there. I can't believe what I'm seeing at this point. And one of my students at this point leans up to my ear and he goes, heaven's lame. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, pretty much. Now here's the thing. Okay, that's a, you know, over the top example. But I think for some of us, if we really get down to what's going on inside of us, we kind of think, well, I don't know. I just wonder, is heaven going to be kind of lame? Like, are we just going to sit around on clouds and, like, worship, like, harps and trumpets and, like, just go like this towards Jesus? Like, is that really it? You all, heaven is going to be unbelievable. And the new heaven and new earth that Christ comes to set up for us 
it is going to blow our minds. We don't have like the ability to wrap our mind around how amazing it's going to be. Picture, if you will, you're having a conversation somehow with an unborn child in the, in the womb of its mother. And you're trying to explain to them the beauty of this world. Like, think about trying to explain, oh, you're going to love it someday. There's sunshine, and you're going to love the sun. They're like, what's, this? what's sun? Oh, it's this big ball of light. Well, what's light? Oh, uh, well, but and as it moves, like, we get seasons. Seasons are amazing, and you're going to feel the coolness of the air and the breeze. What's breeze? I've never experienced breeze. Oh, it's incredible. Just trust me. You're going to love it. And then the fall comes. Fall's coming on us, and the leaves, they change colors. They become orange and green and red, you know, orange and yellow and red, and they're like, well, what's orange and red? Like, there's no language that you can give in order to help them understand it. That's like trying to help us understand how amazing a world is going to be without sin. Like, okay, let's do something for a minute. All sites, all venues, everybody playing this game. Go ahead, close your eyes for just a minute, okay? I want you to think about a world. We're just going to start with a low ball. I want you to think about a world without COVID. <laughs> and chuckles start all around the room, so it's good. A world without COVID. Think about the mask that you're wearing right now. If you're wearing one, uh, you don't have to wear that anymore. If you're home, you might not be wearing one. No one has to wear masks anymore. Think about um, uh, the like overworked hospital workers, no longer an issue. People on ventilators, people who are sick. Vaccines that they're trying to continue to figure out and get pushed through. None of that's actually happening. Okay, let's go to another one. Think about, think about a world without cancer. Some of you are dealing with cancer right now. So think about you're not. Think about loved ones that you know who are dealing with that. Chemotherapy that's taking place that's such a struggle for people. Think about the physical and emotional toll on people's lives. It's gone. It's no longer an issue. How about conflict? Think about conflict that takes place in this world. Think of world conflict. Think of wars that are happening in other areas of the world. And they're gone. Afghanistan, everything happening there, no longer an issue. It's just not happening. Think about racial conflict that continues to happen in this country, in the world. None of it's taking place. Social conflict that's taking place, none of it. Because people are loving each other the way that God intended us to love each other. Caring for one another. Meeting each other's needs. Serving one another. Think about, think about natural disasters, everything that we know that's taken place in Haiti and other areas of the world. None of that's taking place. Think of death not being an issue that anyone has to think of. Think of political unrest that's happening in our country. No longer is any political unrest happening anywhere. Why? Because, well, Jesus is in control. And we're all under his authority as the perfect, loving, just judge. Anybody feel your blood pressure just starting to drop a little as you think about that? Okay, open your eyes. That, like, that just begins to scratch the surface of where we're headed. It just begins to give us just a glimpse of what it is that we're headed to. Heaven is going to be greater than we can ever understand or imagine. Okay, so that's what, that's what we're headed towards. But so what do we do now? Well, Scripture gives us this picture of living with something like what I like to call patient expectancy. Look at this passage of Scripture in the book of James for just a minute. James chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Patiently waiting. Patient expectancy. It means that we continue to do the things that God has called us to do in this world. We stand firm and continue to move forward with the work that he has given us to transform this world into what he intended it to be by the jobs that we do, the way that we love one another, the way we move towards society and help people to understand who Jesus is. And we live expectant. It means that we live with hope. Which, let's be honest, in the broken world that we live in, isn't it true that we just need hope? It's the reason why people in developing countries, why people who are dealing with sickness, who are dealing with cancer, who do get older as our backs start to hurt more and things start to not work the way they were intended to, kind of like my stereo, it's the reason why we look forward. Because, you see, Jesus coming again is supposed to be something that gives us hope. That even in the midst of the difficulty, God meets with us in the midst of the present and he gives us the future to look forward to. to. And that future, man, that is going to be more real than the lives that we are living now. It is going to be more real and more present than we can understand and that's going to be forever. This life, it's like a mist. That life, it will go on forever. And scripture tells us (laughs) that we will be face-to-face with Jesus. You know, that's something that I can throw out there, and it's like, that sounds like such like a churchy, you know, pastor thing to say, we're gonna be face-to-face with Jesus someday. No, you all, you have no idea how amazing it's going to be when we come face-to-face with Jesus. In the the Bible, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says this, it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face-to-face. For now in this world, we connect with God through prayer and through his word and relationship with others, and it's difficult. It kind of reminds me, I mean, if, I, if you could take that passage, put it into modern day terms, I would see it saying something like, for now, we see only on Zoom, you know, and then we shall see face to face. And I think that for all of us this past year, after the last year and a half, can I get an amen that in comparison to Zoom, face to face is better? So true. You know, um, one of the things I love watching, how many of you have seen videos of, um, of, of, of soldiers returning from war to surprise their families? Have you seen any of these? They get back sooner than they expected, you know, and, 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 and husbands and wives, you know, they, who were overseas for a year to, you know, 18 months, they show up at their kid's school or like at a ball game. It's happened at UW games, you know, where all of a sudden the surprise is on. Yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, you see, you see, you see kids who, who return home to like their family house and there's a meal happening and they get to be with them. Yeah, I don't think that it's possible to be able to watch those without crying. Anyone else feel that way? And as I was getting ready for this sermon, I may have watched about two hours of them and ugly cried through all of it. I thought we could just watch these. You should watch them later today. So it's better face to face. And you see it in those moments. All of these people, they've been emailing with their families and they've been texting with them and they've been, I'm sure, having Skype calls and Zoom calls. But all of a sudden, as they see each other face to face, man, it is understatement to say emotional. As you see the embrace 
and the tears and the laughter and the joy. It's like all the feels come out in that moment as you see these people finally together. You see, listen to this. One day, you are going to come face to face with Jesus. And you're going to look into his eyes and see the eyes of the one who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and loved you to such a great level that he was willing to give his life so that he could spend eternity with you. It is an understatement to say that that moment will not be emotional. And I don't know if we'll be on our face before him or experiencing the embrace and bear hug of him, but it will be amazing. That's the grand finale that we wait for. And we will be together in a place where we are working and doing life and eating and drinking and celebrating in a world without sin, in a world without pain, in a world without suffering. It's a grand finale. So now we live the lives that God's called us to and we wait expectantly of what is to come. The grand finale, it's on its way and it's gonna blow our minds. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your son Jesus, for his love for us that does not make sense and God, I thank you so much that this world is not the end. <laughs> you're, Jesus, you're coming, and you're coming to make all things right, and you're coming to give us a life that like, we can't even wrap our minds around and when we get to be face-to-face -face with you. God, would you help us as a church to find our hope in that? God, would our worship be different because of a reality of what is to come? Would you help us to be people who stand firm, who live our lives with the idea that you are coming and, and live faithfully to the things that you have called us to now? God, we look so forward to the grand finale of one day being with you. Thank you that that's truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.